You know, I don't want there to be any hard feelings between us, Harvey. When you and uh, Rachel, Rachel! Rachel were being abducted, I was sitting in Gordon's cage. Now, I, I didn't rig those charges. Your man, your plan. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. The mob has plans. The cops have plans. Gordon's got plans. You know, they're schemers. Schemers trying to control their little worlds. I'm not a schemer. I try to show the schemers how pathetic their attempts to control things really are. So, when I say, uh, come here, when I say that you and your girlfriend was nothing personal, you'll know that I'm telling the truth. I'm gonna need your weapon. What? Why, because my wife's in the hospital. Yeah, that would be why. It's the schemers that put you where you are. You were a schemer. You had plans, and uh, look where that got you. Police, of course, are taking every possible precaution and urging everyone not to take matters into their own hands. I just did what I do best. I took your little plan and I turned it on itself. Look what I did to this city with a few drums of gas and a couple of bullets. Hmm? You, you know what I noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan. Even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press that like a gangbanger will get shot, or a truckload of soldiers will be blowing up, nobody panics. Because it's all part of the plan. But when I say that one a little old mare will die. Well, then everyone loses their minds. Introduce a little anarchy. Upset the established order, and everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, and you know the thing about chaos? It's bare. You live. You die. Now we're talking. Anyway, we are now journeying through chapter five of Philip Yancey's book entitled, Where is God When It Hurts? And um, for those of you who have recently just joined us, uh, don't worry, uh, if you want to follow, catch up on the rest of the series, you can do so uh, by visiting our website uh, at cruciblechurch.com for the audio recordings. So just to review uh, the previous chapters, we saw that pain, though we don't like it, and most of the time we want to get rid of it, right? Tylenol, aspirin, to subdue it, like uh, some anesthesia. We noticed that like, through the previous, that, those four chapters, it, we noticed that pain actually plays an important role. 
And so those four chapters that Pastor Fritz and I went through, try to explain uh, why pain is actually important. There were four roles, right? Four important roles of pain. One is to prevent us from harm or further harm. Second, it provides us with pleasure, pleasure, such as pleasure of accomplishment. You know, the pain of endurance, right? Pain of work, hard work. It, has a, it provides that pleasure of accomplishment, pleasure of sensitivity, pleasures of freedom. It provides freedom. Uh, if you recall, like one of the examples was uh, piano playing. If there was no sensories in our fingers, like the intricate uh, senses in our fingers, how can we possibly play piano? I'm starting to up my piano project. Uh, I don't know if you know the title of the Sonata Pathetique. Let's just say that I'm pathetic with the Pathetique. It's a, it's a piano joke. If you don't, if you never take a piano, sorry. But pain also provides freedom. And also, lastly, pain plays a role in revealing who God is, what God can do, and reveal himself to us. And that passage that I went into to expound that was in Psalm, the popular Psalm, Psalm 23. His rod and staff, pain inflictors, they comfort me. His rod and staff makes me lie down in quiet pastures. His rod and staff makes me and leads me to the streams of water. You notice that? Rod and staff are pain inflictors, yet it's the very rod and staff that David says, I lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. Through his shepherding, through his pain inflicting, I am comforted. I lack nothing. Huh. How does that work out? Well, as I was dwelling in that passage that I explained to you, here's an example. I have a six-year-old daughter. Now, <clears throat> when I hold my six-year-old daughter's hand, right, what does she feel? Well, first of all, well, she wants to hold my hand because she feels that his dad, or her dad, is there. That her dad is present. Her dad is fully aware that she's there. But not only that, her dad is fully aware of her surroundings. Correct? Now, when we cross through busy streets, when we go through dark alleys, when we go through things that she's not certain of, and I could feel her, you know, she's like a little bit, like, getting closer, I hold her tightly. I hold her hand a little tighter. There's pressure. There's a little bit of pain. What does she feel, though? She feels that dad knows something that I don't. Dad sees something that I don't see. Remember, she's only four feet tall, right? So how can she possibly see beyond her perspective? So I hold her back sometimes. Sure, there are times also, some of you who are parents, Joyce, I think you can relate because, man, Lucas would like runs over like a, like a headless chicken sometimes. Like, sometimes they just want to run off. And then, so then you go hold them even tighter. Pull them back a little bit, right? Pull them out of, a, uh, out of almost a slip into a, a pothole or something. They didn't know that, right? But the pain inflicted tells them that, hey, my father knows something that I don't, and he's trying to protect me. It is through that pain, that guidance, that pressure, that, that pain that, that, that God gives us, we, it's, David actually sees it as comfort. Because David says that through your, that pain that you inflict with by your rod and staff, I know what is right and what is wrong. I know where to go. 
I know that my father knows what's best for me. I know that you are leading me through the darkest valleys, but I also know that when you pull me out, it hurts. Seriously, that, that staff, it's a hook, right? He pulls me out, it hurts, but I know that you are in, in there to save me. I know that you're guiding by knocking me around because I know that for a fact that at the end of the day, you have the best for me. Now I wonder, folks, we're in a Christian community. Uh, I shared with you that I have mentors and I have Christian friends. Sometimes God speaks through them too, especially through my wife. And um, like when I want to do something or when, I, when she knows that something is not seem to be right, that my decision may be a little bit going to end up in trouble. I, I think she's a very spiritual person because uh, she's, I, I believe that she's very in tune with God. And so if God speaks to her, I better listen, right? But the pain that she inflicts on me is not necessarily the slap, slap, kick, kick, right? No, the pain is basically to tell me, don't do it. That's painful too, isn't it? When somebody tells you to say no, when somebody says no to you, that's painful. It hurts. Yeah, it's called pride. And you just bit humble pie, right? Like, you know, you just, it's, a, it's that pain that to realize that, hey, maybe my desires are not that aligned with God. And God is using this individual to speak to me, say that, oh, maybe that's not the right thing to do. Oh, wait, there's two more individuals that says that same thing. Oh, wait, there's three more. But then these friends, no, listen to the godly people first. It's always good to listen to the no's rather than all the yaysayers. Agree? Maybe that's pain too. So pain is actually, David says, I, am, I lack nothing when I experience the shepherding of God. Because why? He's there. So pain, the last final role that in, that, in those chapters was pain is actually an evidence that God is present. Amen? Now we move on to bigger things, things that we have no control of, and that is tragedies, big ones, from natural disasters, like the ones that uh, we've been uh, hearing about, earthquakes in Indonesia, volcanic eruptions in Guatemala, uh, like the one almost near hit in Hawaii, the, the hurricane, almost nearly. Now it's just a tropical storm, praise God for that because uh, I'm sure a lot of us know a few of brothers and sisters over there right now. And, uh, you know, natural disasters. Yes, that too. But also shootings, mass shootings, like Toronto, Toronto mass shootings, uh, the mass shootings in Germany, the mass shootings in France. Things that we have no control. How about the humble bus crash? What in the world happened there? Right? Another tragedy. Another thing that happened. How about, or even close to home, in Langley, a 10-year-old girl gets killed by her own mother. Was it seven? Seven-year-old, 10-year-old? She gets, uh, she gets killed by her own mother. Why does that happen? Why do these tragedies happen? Now, you know, if you read the, the news and, you know, and stuff, they would say, look, it's so unfair. It's, uh, it's why are these things happening? People, where like, they interview them, they go, it's so unfair. You know, this part of town, right? They always say, this part of town was so quiet and peaceful, and suddenly this happened, right? Uh, it's interesting how they say, this part of town? Why not that part of town? Which implies, why not that part of town, right? It's interesting how we say these things. So then we ask ourselves, why is this happening? Uh, why does God allow this to happen? Especially for Christians, we, we believe that God is good. God is loving. 
God is just. Well, this is definitely injustice right here, right? A seven-year-old girl does not deserve to die under her mother's arms, uh, under her mother's actions. Why? And also, how should we respond as Christians in this? Like, sure, we are, Christians are called to mourn and grieve, and yes, we should. We are definitely are called to mourn and grieve. I grieve and mourn every time I hear about uh, people or tragedies that happen. Why do these things happen, I say? But then how, sh- how else should we respond? What else should- is this something that God is telling us? Is this a message from God? And that's where we're going into. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Uh, pa- Brian uh, uh, read a little bit, and we're just going through it step by step from here. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. <coughs> Now, just a caveat. This is a very tough topic, right? And I am not at all here to ameliorate or lessen the intensity or the uh, importance or the suffering, the loss that people experience. It is huge. It hurts. So I'm not here to say, oh, look, everything's like bells and whistles. Like, no, it's serious stuff. We should hurt with them, all right? So this is a no way to ameliorate or appease or whatever to uh, these situations because they're, they're serious. It's more about how should Christians take it seriously? That's, what, that's the question. Okay, let's read. Read along once you have it. Now, very important. So if you, <laughs> I notice that a lot of you have iPhones and everything. If you can figure out a way to circle that, that would be great. But if you don't, if you have a, you're like me, circle now, all right? Now. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. First of all, here's my nerd side. Now, if we are children, where else do we see if in this passage? If indeed we share in his suffering. You found that? Okay. So if we are children, if indeed we share in his suffering, then, or in order that, then we are heirs, heirs of co-heirs with Christ, then that we may also share in his glory. You follow? So you have to, so this is called, here we go, structural criticism. So in other words, boom, Regent College, 101. Okay, so if and if has to be lined up. Okay, so if we are children, then what will bound to happen? We suffer. You follow? If we are children of God, then we suffer. It's truth. Sorry, if you signed up and got baptized and thought that the things would be like hunky-dory, you're in the wrong religion. So if we, if we are children, then we suffer. But, he says, however, here's another truth. If we are children and we suffer, then what are we? We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, and we also share in his glory. Following through that, he goes and says that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing that with that glory. He defines that glory, elaborates on that glory, saying that it's not even worth comparing, that suffering is not worth comparing. You follow? You follow that? All right, so Paul begins with that. He begins to say that this is the heirs. Now, with all the suffering, 
You're suffering, right? You are experiencing the tragedies. You're experiencing this, that it's the world in chaos. Remember this. It's not the future that we are looking forward to, actually. It's not whether we're going to get the Aramis. It's not whether we're going to experience the glory. It's not whether we're going to, in the future, what does Paul say? First word he said, I told you to circle. Now. You're experiencing it now. You are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, now. People of God, if you are currently in suffering, in, in hurt, in pain, in personal pain, or physical pain, spiritual pain, mental pain, first thing that you, to remind yourself, like what Brian said, to re, a reminder, is that now you are co-heirs with Christ. Not later, not in the future, not when you die, it's now, okay? That's why Paul started with this. He knew that we are suffering. He knows that the Christians back then were suffering too. They were being persecuted. They were seeing fires. They were seeing natural disasters, earthquakes. Everything was occurring in Greece that time too. Like, come on. Like, uh, remember uh, Pompeii? Right? So that happened. He knew that. And so what did he start off with when he talks about suffering? The foundation, one key foundation. We are co-heirs with Christ. All right, let's move on to Roman chapter 8, verse 19. Now, here's the problem, though. Paul goes on to say, <coughs> why is this happening then? Why are all the tragedies happening? Why is this all this chaos? Well, Paul goes and says, here's the problem, and here's what he believes is the reason why this whole thing is going spiraling in chaos, like not spiraling downward, but just all over the place, like what Joker was saying. It's like, that, right? For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, no, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Now, creation in hope, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Okay, so Paul says, now here's the problem. The tragedies that you and I experience and or witness, the feelings of hopelessness and moral decay, what is right seems to be elusive to many people, you know what I mean? Like, come on, like, why kill? Such as, like, like mass shootings, why do that? The aimlessness and meanlessness of the tragedies, oh, let's embarrass these guys, okay? Hi. Hello. You know, if I had a choir, I would have them sing, and, welcome! You're late, you're late, you're late, you're late. All right, anyway. Uh, I know them, don't worry, I'm going to be marrying them. <laughs> Maybe no, not anytime soon, anyway. <laughs> but anyway. So, welcome, good morning, glad you made it. Glad to see you guys alive and well. All right. The aimlessness and meaningless tragedies that make us wonder why they're happening for no reason. You know, that frustration. This frustration, Paul says, is not creation's fault. It's not. These earthquakes, is not creation's fault. These uh, volcanoes, is not creation's fault. These mass shootings, is not the cause of the environment, okay? It's not the result of the environment. No, the main cause is the one. Who is this one? The one's actions who brought creation everything into bondage to decay. Who is the one who had the authority to manage and steward and look after creation? Who is this one who's supposed to take care of all this stuff and be a good steward to rule 
on this land so that everything is in harmony according to God's purpose. Who is this one? Well, Paul gave a hint. He started with, he gave us a hint called creation. That nice little word. So if you can circle it, that's his word. Now he's a Jew and we know that Paul's way of doing things is that he likes to allude to the Old Testament. So therefore, we put our little finger on that passage and go directly to Genesis. Because hey, he talked about creation, so we gotta go back to the creation story. So let's go back to Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Who is this one then? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule, oh sorry, chapter one, verse 26, did I mention that? All right. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that he may, no, they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything, all creation. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to, be, to them, be fruitful, increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. Dang, that's a good deal, doesn't it? You know, you like all the food that you could eat. Right? They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So here's a more of a modern contemporary example. Uh, let's use an example. Henry. All right. I know these folks. So Henry, Henry bought a motorcycle. You enjoy it, right? So let's say God gave you that motorcycle. There are rules surrounding the motorcycle, right? Riding a motorcycle. There are rules of the road, rules of engagement, right? Why are these rules in place? For him to enjoy the pleasures and the entertainment of motorcycling, right? It completes him. Right? Anyway, so motorcycling. However, let's say he takes his motorcycle and pounds it on the head of Derek, right? Let's just say like, you know, like he uses it and just runs him over, right? Uh, that's not the way motorcycles are to be used, right? Like, so can we say that Henry was a good steward or a good ruler of the motorcycle? No, right? This same goes with life for us. See, Genesis here tells us about life. God gave us life. God gave us rules of engagement to have a fruitful life, a life of fullness. He promised that of what? Of eternal life. He says, look, humanity, I give you all this. There's only one thing that you just don't need to do, and it's to be like me. But I give you all this. The, only, the rules of engagement is as follows. This life, I give you this life, this life of eternal life, of fullness, of the, the full of who I created you to be. Follow it. Then, what happened? Humanity decided, nah, -uh. I don't think you know what's good for me. So let's move on to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife, oh, pause here. A lot of people, like a lot of men especially, they instantly use this verse and say, You see, I don't need to listen to you, to their wives, right? But really, folks, who were the only human beings on the planet that day? Adam and Eve, right? So really, 
the general the, the principle here, what I draw from it, is basically Adam listened to a person that, he, that told him what he wanted to hear. You follow? You got it? He saw it was good too. He saw the fruit it was good. So then what did he do? He just accepted it because, hey, he actually listened to what he wanted to hear. Right? Did he consult with God? No. He consulted with his peers, right? With people who are the yaysayers, right? Just like what I explained earlier. Right? Okay, let's go on. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from food from in all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Ever wonder why work at work you have uh, politics, and ever why you always have bad coworkers, and ever why you have some employees that just don't get along? Well, that's thorns right there, <laughs> right? That's your sweat on your brow. Work has always been that. And if you don't have thorns and thistles, that ain't work. That's a vacation, right? So uh, that's work. But cursed is the ground because of you, meaning that it is going to be chaotic, right? This creation that, you have, uh, that God has established now, from that day forward, creation has now become chaotic, out of our control, out of our control. We are no longer rulers. Everything is out of our control. We can't even control the thorns and the thistles. Because we have misused it, you, you misused that life that God has given us for our own personal gain. Because we wasted it all. Like we, that creation, everything given to us is now in chaos. And because of that, we lost control. We can't rule it. And because of that, there's earthquakes. Because of that, there's uh, mass shootings. Because of that, there's car, car accidents. Of that are, that's totally, what? And then there's tragedies due to humanity's will. Everybody here uh, in this planet right now is, wants us to fulfill their own desires. And look at where it's getting us, right? Everybody wants to fulfill their own little individual wills. And where is it getting us? We have chaos. You and I, believers and disciples of Jesus Christ, are glorified and fully revealed in full form now. So how should we respond to this? How should we respond to this as children of God? Because in this passage in, the, in Romans, the, the creation is right now groaning and wanting to know when. When is the children of God revealed? When will the children of God be revealed? Well, let's move on to Romans and finish it off in Romans 8.22. Paul concludes with this. And this is for us, children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grow inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. See, creation is waiting for the children of God to be revealed, right? To, for the glory of God to be revealed in us. Why is that? Why, did, do they, why is creation waiting for us? Well, it looks at creation first. It's groaning. Now, Paul says it's groaning in the pains of childbirth. Okay, for those who had children, for the women who had children, not men, because uh, the, the only thing that we had was hemorrhoids, and that's about it, that's the most painful, right? The children, right, having children. Some women experience pain right at conception, right? Some women experience pain during the whole nine-month phase. But it, I know for a fact, with my, witnessing my, my wife, is that pain gets even bigger as time draws near, right? the little sucker drops and it gets heavy 
and it, it suddenly like uh, things just go haywire, right? And then uh, uh, and all pain comes. However, why in, on earth then, then Paul used the the metaphor childbirth? It's because this pain, this groaning, has expectancy, and this expectancy is new birth, newness. The new creation is coming. We expect, like Susan, you, you relate, right? We like uh, when the kid comes, then suddenly all pain goes. Well, pain doesn't go away, right? You're under the influence of drugs anyway. But you know, like, uh, but you see the child. All things start to pale in comparison. The suffering is just pale in comp- comparison. The glory is right there, revealed, right? So this whole, so Paul says the groaning, the creation that's groaning, it's waiting to see us be revealed. See Christ revealed in us, the glory revealed in us. To, the creation is waiting for to see the children of God reborn, to be born again, to, to be a new creation. So, in light of this then, if creation is expecting us to reveal ourselves, if Paul says that, don't wait, it's now, we are heirs already, heirs of Christ. Remember what he said, now you are heirs of Christ, now you are the glory of Christ. If creation is waiting, but you are already now, so in light of this, what are we supposed to do? See, this chapter, Philip Yancey said that, he described that the natural disasters and all these calamities and chaos is a megaphone of God. And I agree. It's not because God caused all this. No, we already know who did. Us. It's the chaos. But why does he allow it? And why does he allow creation to continue to grow? I think it's a, and I agree with Philip Yancey on this, the megaphone is to remind us of who we are. Many times, I, I understand, I worked for like 15 plus years in the corporate world. You know, day in and day out, you click in, clock out, you go to work and you come back home, you cook, you clean, you gotta put your kid to bath and then suddenly you take a, they put them to bed and then round one, two hits again. Then you do that again and then again and then round three hits again, right? Just things just become a lot clockwork and things just, and then we slowly become complacent. Then suddenly joker happens the agent of chaos, whatever that is, it happens. Are we in tune with that? Are we in tune with what's happening in this world today? We just had a car accident in Richmond. You heard that, right? You heard the ambulances and the sirens, right? Were you aware of those things? Were you aware that that chaos is right now currently happening in Richmond? Are you aware that somebody probably lost their life or will never walk again? Are you aware that humanity is right now depraved and spiraling out of control? These tragedies and chaos is what C.S. Lewis would say is the megaphone of God, to remind the children of God that it's not to be waiting to be revealed, to remind us that now we are the co-heirs of Christ already. Now is the time that creation has been yearning for. Now is the time that creation has been groaning for, and that now is the time for the children of God to be revealed. And it is now for us to actually preach the gospel, share the gospel to people around us, and to share the good news and the good life of Jesus to everyone around us, to live a life worthy to be called Christian. 
are you willing to say at this moment that I am a good role model for a Christian? Yes, I will tell my coworker today that you can copy me. I am a good role model as a Christian. You can copy me. Can we say that confidently? If we can't, we have to continue to work that out, are we? We have to continue to pray that the Holy Spirit will move us. Because there will be a day when the groaning will stop, Paul says. There will be a day when everything will end. Do you want that day to happen, though? Because I'm sure you have a lot of loved ones and friends and family who you want them to see Jesus as well. Agree? They are groaning. However, this, is, this groaning is a megaphone of God. Let's conclude. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What does he mean by this? I could give you an example for myself. When I heard the seven-year-old girl being murdered by her own mother, it hurt horribly because I have a six-year-old. And I didn't know what words to say. But then, uh, uh, as I was praying over this, preparing this passage and message as well, I felt groaning. The Holy Spirit entered and groaned with me. Didn't know what words to say, but he groaned. But it's not because I groaned and bawled my eyes out. No, it's the groaning of reminding myself of him saying, allow me to take more of you. See all this that's happening. See, the Holy Spirit is also, yes, remembering, but also the groaning, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts to, there's a song with one verse that, I, that resonates with me. Break my heart of what breaks yours. Remember that line? The Holy Spirit breaks our hearts for what breaks God's heart. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to do that with us, to turn our hearts into what, how God feels, I believe that that's how he will change our lives to be more like his, to reveal the glory that's already in us, the glory of Christ in us. People of God, can you say, if somebody asks, like I still remember in Wonder Woman, like Stephen Trevor, um, Diana Priz asks, are you a great example of a man? And he goes, well, um, I, I'm above average, <laughs> right? If somebody asks you, are you a good example of a Christian? I pray that you say, I'm working on it. I'm working on it, but I'm faithful to work on it. Yet I am. I know, what's in, I know who's in me, and I'm going to allow him to break through and break through right through me.